Have you found it difficult to explain God to your friends and family? Yeah? It's hard to explain God to people. It's hard to understand Him for ourselves. This is mostly because of how different God is from humans. And He has to be in order to be God, right? He's different. Even though we're created in His image. So we have certain qualities that we share with God. But as creator, he is to be distinguished from all the natural world. This is why he gives commandments like, you shall have no other God before me. So when you go and you make these stupid little idols made out of wood and stone and gold, you're acting like a moron, okay? Because that, that God can't help you, okay? Uh, there's a one true living God who the Bible says is omnipotent. He is able to do anything according to his will. He might not choose to operate on your timetable though. He might choose to be free and not be on the hook for what you want him to do. We don't like that very much, do we? He is to be distinguished from the natural world. He has certain communicable and incommunicable attributes. That is, some of the attributes of God actually uh, we share. So God is love. God can love his creation. We can love one another, right? God has mercy. We can be merciful to one another, right? God is benevolent. We can be benevolent to one another, right? These are communicable attributes that we can share with God. But then there are some that he doesn't share with us, <laughs> right? His omnipresence, his omniscience, his omnipotence. Those are fancy $5 words for God is, God can do anything he, he wants. He's all powerful, okay? He's all potent. God is all knowing. He knows everything. I know some of you are like me and you have Times in your life where you like to think you know everything, but we don't. God is everywhere present. There's no place in the world you can go where the presence of God is not there. Because it's all created by Him. So these are incommunicable attributes. These are things that God reserves for Himself. And though His incommunicable attributes belong only to Him and are not shared by us, they are perhaps the most crucial for us to understand. In today's message from Mark 5, if you have your Bibles open there, we're going to discover some crucial things about God and ourselves by the way that Jesus interacts with a demon-possessed man whose name we don't know. We never learn his name. He's a demon-possessed man. We also learn how Jesus interacts with a legion of demons. And then we also learn about the sovereignty of God and who God is by how Jesus interacts with a certain community of people that this demon-possessed man calls neighbors. So Mark chapter 5. We're going to read verses 1 through 20. The Bible says, And they came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerasenes. When they had come out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, that is Jesus. And he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken into pieces. And no one was strong enough to subdue him. And constantly, night and day among the tombs and in the mountains, he was crying out and gnashing or gashing himself with stones. And seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and he bowed down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, 
What do I have to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to entreat him earnestly not to send them out into the country or out of the country. Now there was a big herd of swine feeding there on the mountains, verse 11 tells us. And the demons entreated him saying, send us into the swine so that we may enter them. And he gave them permission and coming out the unclean spirits entered the swine. And the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea. About 2,000 of them. And they were drowned in the sea. And their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and out in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind. The very man who had the legion. And they became frightened. And those who had seen it described to them how it happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine. And they began to entreat him to depart from their region. And as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was entreating him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him, but he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him And everyone marveled. Praise God for his word this morning. Amen. This story takes several different turns. Number one, Jesus encounters a man. Number two, Jesus encounters the demons. Number three, then the people of the region. Jesus encounters the people of the region. And then he encounters the man a second time after he was delivered from the demons. Today we're learning about Jesus and the sovereignty of God. God's sovereignty is something that we, that we don't understand very well. As we look around in a world full of evil and we ask questions like how can an all-loving, all-powerful God allow this? If God has the power to save, if God has the power in a moment to eradicate sin from the world and evil from the world, why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he operate on my timetable? Why doesn't he do things the way I think he should do them? Jesus actually explains in this passage, he explains God's sovereignty and how God works with humanity and with evil in the world. The first thing that we notice about this passage and God's sovereignty is that Jesus has power over all natural and the supernatural in the world. If you remember from last week, if you were here, do you remember where Jesus is coming from? He's coming from a large crowd. Like this huge crowd pressing in on him and he's teaching and people are calling him rabbi and they're just wowed by his teaching. Oh, wow, this is great. And he decides he's going to leave. He gets in a boat with all of his disciples and they leave and they put out on the lake and a great storm builds up. You remember? And the storm is, is so fierce that the wind begins to blow the water into the boat. And what's Jesus doing? He's sleeping. <laughs> Have you ever felt like God was asleep on the job in your life? Like, God, do you really know what's going on in my life right now? 
would you please do something? Well, this is the same experience that the disciples had. They were like, they said, teacher, do you not care? Do you not care about our souls? Are, are you just a theoretical teacher? Or do you care for us? And Jesus wakes up and he, he does something miraculous. He, he speaks to the natural world. He says to the wind and the waves, peace, be still. He says something kind of like this earlier, two chapters earlier than this, when there's another demon-possessed person and he says to the demon, shut up. It's basically what he says to the wind and waves. Shut up! And the sea became completely still. Jesus has already displayed, before he steps out of the boat, he's already displayed to his disciples that he has natural, he has power over the natural world. Who else has that power? No one. No one. How does he have power over the natural world? Because we learn in Romans 11, all things were created for him and through him and to him. It's all about him. This entire creation is about Jesus. He's not just a footnote in the story of God. He is the Son of God. He has power. He's displayed that. Listen, if you look at these verses 2 through 13, this is the first section. This is the first act in this story. This man had been cast out. Why? Because he could not be controlled. He was cast out of the community because the community could no longer control him. Now it also says that he had grown in power. Notice what verse 3 says. Look in your Bibles. He had his dwelling among the tombs. He was living among dead people. And listen, no one was able to bind him, here's a key word, anymore. So evidently there was some time in his life when the community could control him. They bound him with chains. Okay, we've got control of him. But now... The, the power of these demons in him had vastly outnumbered the chains, the ability of the community to hold and to bind this man. So, does Jesus have power like he did over the waves and the sea? Does he have power in this community? Can he do something for this man? Well, the Bible says here in verse 5, Constantly, night and day, among the tombs, this was the man's life. He was separated from the community. He lived among the tombs. No one could control him. He was in a dark place, sequestered, isolated, hopeless. Enter Jesus. Verse 6 says, Seeing Jesus from a distance. Listen to verse 6. He ran up. And he bowed down before him. Evil came running for mercy. Darkness came running for mercy. This must have been a humiliating moment for these demons. And for Satan himself. Who had planted his flag in this region and said, this is mine. How humiliating. These demons had never been on the receiving end of torment before. Ever. Maybe by their master, Satan himself. Because that's what he is. He's a slave driver. He's a slave master. But never had they been tormented by anybody in this community for sure. 
But here at Jesus' feet, they were bowed down and crying out for mercy. And here we see the sovereign reign of God in Jesus displayed. God's power over every dark corner of the world. We see the sovereign reign of God in Jesus extracting evil from its dark hiding places in the world. And in your life, you have dark places, do you not? The church, as a ministry of sharing the gospel in dark places, Jesus makes a spectacle out of evil. He brings it out into the light. They come screaming and shrieking out of terror. And this is just the dress rehearsal, I love it, of what is coming. This is just practice. There is still evil lurking and hidden away even now in our world. Even after this moment in time, even after the resurrection, there's still evil in our world. I don't have to tell you that. And God knows that you're weighed down by it. But be encouraged, brothers and sisters. Jesus is coming again. And when he returns, all evil, not just some of it, all of it, no matter where it hides, will be exposed and dealt with once for all. Notice again in this section the outs. The, the, the entire passage, if you just notice the times in each one of these acts when people are being called out or sent out or cast out. It's really interesting. Jesus goes out from the region he was in, sails across the sea to a new place. He gets out of the boat. When he gets out of the boat, a man who had been cast out of his community comes out from among the tombs to Jesus. Jesus calls the demons to come out of him. He casts the demons into swine. The swine go out over the cliff and die into the sea. Then the townspeople all come out to see what's going on and to see wh who this Jesus is. And then they send Jesus out because he causes them so much trouble. And then this man who wants to leave his home country and go out with Jesus because Jesus set him free, Jesus casts him out back into his own community and says, no, they need to hear your story. This is, a, this is a story about what God does in His sovereignty, who He sends, His purposes, His will. Jesus asks in verse 9, He says, what is your name? And He wants to do something here, I believe. I think He's identifying who He's talking to. Because it appears, maybe to His disciples, it's just this man comes, maybe a crazy man comes, and He bows before Jesus. Well, this is good. This guy's going to worship before Jesus. He's acknowledging who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. And Jesus asks a question, who are we talking to here? Why are you so afraid? Why are you shrieking out of terror? And the answer we get in verse 9. He said to him, my name, singular, my name is Legion, for we, plural, are many. Now, one historian talks about this word legion, he calls it a military term. Mike Mitchell says that a legion numbered 4,500 to 6,000 soldiers during Roman times and was composed of skilled men, spearmen, commandos, skirmish specialists, cavalry, 
and reserves. And also, and this is very important, not only were they military men, they were people, they were men who must be property owners. They didn't just have power over groups of people, they had property and responsibility of an area. And I believe that this demon was saying to Jesus, don't cast, do not cast us out of this area because we are held responsible by powers that be. Other evil powers. We have to stand this ground. And we've done a great job up to this point. Don't cast us out of here. Jesus decides to send them into the pigs. In the same way that God's sovereign power showed up that day in the person of Jesus, it shows up today when people share the gospel of Jesus Christ. People do unnatural things when they meet Jesus. The uncontrollable and the unsubduable runs and bows himself and herself to him. This shows that the demonic spirits were not afraid of the people but were mortified by Jesus himself. The man runs to Jesus the moment Jesus' feet hit the soil of Gerasene land. Likewise today I believe when the gospel of Christ is proclaimed and faithfully shared in the dark places of this world something unnatural happens. What is God doing in the world? You're asking that question as a Christian and you've never shared your faith? You are what God is doing in the world. The church is what God is doing in the world. He works through people and he sends out people to share the gospel, the good news of Christ. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God. you get that? It is the power of God to those who believe, to all who believe. And so Christians, God does unnatural things when we are faithful to share the word. The Holy Spirit is always present in power when the gospel is shared. The gospel of Jesus Christ is that which the Bible calls the power of God unto salvation. Now God displays his sovereign power over all the forces in this world by going toe-to-toe with Satan here. There are pockets of evil dominion all over the world where Satan has laughed at humanity like these demons laughed at the community in this region. There are pockets of evil dominion all over the world where Satan has laughed and said, Ha, you can't touch me? You cannot unbind what I have bound? You cannot free what I have enslaved such was the cause such was the case with this garrison man who lived among the tombs for whom all of his friends and families and neighbors had completely given up hope but his entire life changed in an instant why because Jesus stepped out of the boat he got out of the boat He entered into a place where no one wanted to go. He entered into into a place that was steeped in darkness and evil. 
Jesus tells the church, his disciples in Matthew, the very last chapter of Matthew, we call it the Great Commission. He says something very specific. We usually talk about how it says, teach people, make disciples, and baptize people. But he says this before he says that. He says, all what? Authority has been given to me. He says that first. And then, here's the key word after that. He says, therefore, go. Therefore, go. We can go because of what he's done. Because of what he's exposed. And the Bible says that his greatest, his greatest act of exposing evil was his resurrection. He is now declared the son of God with power and evil cannot hide. The enemy is on a short leash. And one day Jesus is coming again and all of his enemies will be vanquished. But think about this. The only way Jesus could have been in the boat in the first place was if God had stepped out of heaven 30 some odd years ago and come in the form of a baby born in the manger. Satan tried to kill the Christ child through King Herod, Herod many years before, but he failed. And now as a 30-something-year-old, the sound of Jesus' feet hitting the ground as he got out of the boat must have been a deafening sound to this legion of demons. He is here. All the rumors are true. He's on our soil. There's no more hiding. The light of the world has come and he is shining into all the dark places in the world and nothing is hidden from his sight. He has come and these demons do the only thing they can do. They submit. They fall and they ask him, what have we to do with you? It's a great question. It's one worth asking. Even if you're not a demon. If you're a human being, it's the most important question any human being will ever ask in their lifetime have you asked Jesus this question what is your response to the fact that Jesus has come has the love of God in Christ has the sovereign rule and reign of Christ in the person of Jesus has it driven you to your knees yet what have you to do with Jesus Jesus shows his power over the natural world and the supernatural world. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Have you done that? Number two, this passage also shows us that people have power over their decisions. As we go on and we look at what happens, Jesus sends the, demon out, the demons out and then everybody responds. The herdsmen who own these pigs, I don't know what the price of bacon was back then. Wait a minute, Jews don't eat bacon. We'll come back to that some other time. Anyway, but I know it's a little pricey right now. But these men had a stake in this, right? These herdsmen had a stake in this. So many of their herd just died. This is problematic. So they go into the town. They tell everybody what happened. The people come out. What's going on? Did they come out because they lost so many precious livestock? Did they come out because they're glad, they're happy that this man is now delivered from evil? 
That'd be awesome if that were the case. I don't know why they come out. We do know how they responded if you'll look there in your Bible in verses 14 and 17. They come out, they see what Jesus did. They see the man, they see the change that Jesus made. They see the added value to the human life that Jesus brought to this man. But their overall takeaway was, we want you out of here. Leave. This is the way of the world. The world likes spiritual bondage. As long as it has the appearance of control and prosperity. They were happy where they were. Just let this guy dwell over there in the tombs and leave us alone. Everything's fine. Jesus shows them everything's not fine. When Jesus comes into your life, he will show you the things that are not fine. He will expose it all. He will show you. The world loves spiritual bondage as long as it has the appearance of control and prosperity. Jesus is fine until he affects my bottom line. Then he has to get out of my life and out of my sphere. Now we have a problem. He has to get out of my relationships. He has to get out of my house. He has to get out of my plans. He has to get out of my future. And he has to get out of my country. One of the central messages to Mark's gospel is that Jesus, you'll remember this from a few weeks ago, will not be controlled. This was the problem when Jesus comes on the scene. People can't control him. His family tried to take him aside and say, Jesus, you're, you're going overboard here. All right? And why did they do that? Remember we looked at that prophecy from Zechariah 13? It says if if. A family has a member has a man in their family who is behaving as a prophet and he's 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 bringing shame upon them they they are responsible to take him and to discipline him and if they don't they will be disciplined by the community they try to control him the bible literally says they go to take him into custody to control him Jesus would not be controlled the scribes and the pharisees tried to control him Jesus would not be controlled we want to control him. He will not be controlled. He will not be manipulated. He is not tameable. You can't tame him. He will not be arrested or subdued by the world or by worldliness. Furthermore, Christian, take note, he will not be compartmentalized by you either, by me. He will not be sequestered to your Sunday morning life. He will not be kept in a box where he only influences maybe your education but not your relationships. No. Jesus and God must be free and sovereign. And we are glad that Jesus will not be controlled by us because if we could control him, he could not save us from our sin. Jesus is not just another prophet that we have put on a pedestal that says, we like this one. He seems like a pretty good, he seems like a pretty good guy. We should follow his moral teachings. He seems pretty believable. No, Jesus rose from the dead. 500 witnesses at that, on that day experienced Jesus 
rise from the dead. He's not just one of us, the man from Nazareth. He is the Son of God. And He will not be controlled. We cannot control God, but we can have control over our own decisions. We do have control with the things God has entrusted, has given to us to say, this is in your realm. Okay? People usually refer to this passage that we're reading as the one where Jesus cast out the demons from a man. If you have a study Bible, the little subheading might even say the Gerasene demoniac, or something like that. But don't let this escape your notice today that perhaps the most significant action is when the people of the region cast Jesus out of their country for causing such a ruckus. Perhaps we should refer to this story as the time when a community of people had the opportunity to embrace Jesus and cast him out because they hated what he did to their economy, their pocketbook, their personal relationships. This is also the most significant part of your story. What will you do with Jesus? At the beginning of this story, we find one bound man among many free At the end, we find one free man among many bound. They were bound by their own self-made chains and shackles of fear, affluence, and self-security. They could have been freed if they had believed in and decided to follow Jesus, but they didn't. Now that is in your realm. God has given you the ability to choose Christ You can't tame the wind and the waves and you don't have power over the forces of darkness in this world but you do have the ability to receive Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior and follow Him and invite Him to shine His light into every area of your life. At the beginning of this story we were introduced to a man described as living among the dead living among the tombs. And this man's life was upended by Jesus. And his entire country took notice of Jesus and the difference he made. But still, at the end of this story, we find a man this time truly, truly living among the dead. They had experienced a miracle in their midst. And still, they did not receive Jesus as their king. Jesus can be rejected by people. And he is. Every day. He cannot go unnoticed by demons. Now this is the mystery of the gospel. He cannot go unnoticed by demons. The demons had gone unnoticed by everybody else. Nobody else had anything to do with them. But the moment Jesus' feet hit the soil, they come running to him. When it comes to the natural and supernatural world, Jesus does not go unnoticed. This is the mystery of the kingdom of God. But he can be ignored. And he can be rejected by people. At least for a while. 
People have the power over their decisions at least for a while. But there will come a day, the Bible says, when power over your decisions will be lost. The day you take your last breath or the day of Christ's return, whichever comes first, the Bible says that all of us will respond to Jesus' return the way that this legion did. It will not be the time for choosing or deciding. That time is now. For as long as, as God plans, we don't know when Christ is coming again. We don't know when our last breath is going to be. But we do know that the time of choosing is only now. At that moment, there will be no time for choosing. That's what Jesus shows in this passage. If you think that there's some second chance for you or for your friends or for your family that maybe when Christ comes again, then we'll know for sure. This gives us evidence that that's not the case. When Jesus comes again, those mouths who, have, who desire, have the desire to stay closed, those knees that have the desire to continue to, be, to stand upright, those mouths will open, they will speak, they will declare Him as King, and the knees will bow just like these demons. Folks, no one could control this man. No one could. But Jesus, His very presence brought this man to His knees. Those who reject Christ will suffer the same fate as these demons. And then finally, Jesus' power over the world, and this is the good news, Jesus' power over the world allows people to make the most important decision. And that is to follow in, or to believe in and to follow Jesus like these demons, the man was entreating Jesus. As we get to verse 18 through 20, we learn so much about God's sovereignty here and our decisions. This man, as Jesus was getting into the boat to leave this man. Now Jesus granted the request of the demon, of the demons, the legion. They said, please, don't send us out of the country. And Jesus says, okay, I won't do that. He grants the request of the townspeople who say, get out of our, get out of our country. Okay, he goes to get back in the boat. But this man, this man who was delivered by Jesus, who was set free from this demon possession, asks a simple question to Jesus. Can I go with you? Wouldn't you want to go with him? What do you have to go back to? A town full of people who've rejected you all of your life? I mean, what do you know best? You know the tombs. You know the cemetery better than anybody. That's been your life. Wouldn't you want to go with Jesus? And what does Jesus say to this man? No. No. You can't go with me. Sounds inhumane, doesn't it? Jesus refuses his request. He grants the request of a legion of demons and he grants, grants the request of these immoral townspeople. But this man who's been delivered is told no. The man wants to follow Jesus away from the very region in which he had been enslaved all of his life. Why would a loving God not allow this simple request? It seems ludicrous that Jesus would grant the request to these demons and deny this man. 
This man's decision in verse 20 shows us something. How does he respond to Jesus' command? Jesus tells him, go to your people. (laughs) Your people? I have no people. They've rejected me. They've cast me out. He says, go to your people. Report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. How poetic is that? John says in John chapter 1 that Jesus went to his own and his own received him not. They rejected him. But to as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called sons and daughters of God. Jesus is saying to this man, you're going to live like me now. Many of them are going to reject you. You're going to see hatred in their eyes. You're going to be a reminder to them of all of their economic loss. Verse 20 says this, He went away and began to proclaim Jesus in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. This man's decision in verse 20 shows that he really was free. And that he was fully submitted to God's will for his life. Sometimes we think that coming under the lordship of Christ is just, it's just more, more shackles, more enslavement. It's freedom. It's freedom to live under the sovereign rule and reign of Jesus Christ. It's full freedom the way God intended it to come under the sovereign rule of God and that's what Jesus shows us in this passage in this story he shows us this is what it means to truly be free if you want to be free you must be submitted to Jesus really and truly free Jesus frees us from sin not so that we can live the life we want to live for ourselves This man thought, this seems right. It might be a good idea. I could, you know, go on tour with you. We could have a book deal together. Jesus, this would be wonderful. We have so many ideas for God, don't we, with our lives? God, I have a great idea for you with my life. We seem to think that, right? Jesus frees us not so we can live the life that we want to live for ourselves or even the life that we think we want to live for him. God, I'll I'll make you famous. I can do so much for the kingdom. No, Jesus frees us from sin so that we can live the life that He, that He intends for us. A life lived for self is just another form of spiritual bondage. Jesus didn't tell this man, okay, you're free, go away, go live the life you want, you do you. I just died so you could be free to do what you want. That's what you need, freedom. No, he didn't need freedom. He needed freedom from sin. He needed freedom from himself. That's what he needed. And that's what everyone needs today. Not a savior who gives you a get out of jail free card, but one who says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You will make disciples as You follow me, you will invite others to follow me. You must take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And you will experience true freedom. 
Romans 12, 1 through 2, Paul says to believers that the type of worship that we're a part of now, the sacrifice that we give because of what God has done in our life through Jesus, we come to our sovereign king and we present ourselves to him. We present to him our bodies as a living and holy sacrifice to God. That we're no longer conformed to this world, but we're transformed. Our minds, our hearts are transformed. We submit ourselves to God. He is our King. He's our sovereign Lord and Master. Jesus shows us what it means to be fully submitted to Christ. Christ gives full freedom. He displays his power over all of creation. He shows us that as human beings, we are decision makers. We can make a difference in our life, the decisions that we make. And the most important one, which is to belong to God, Jesus' ministry, his work on the cross, and his resurrection frees you and me to make the most important decision of our lives. And that is the following.